Okay, welcome back to Don't Call It a Book Club. My name is Luke. I'm Daniel. Today we've got a pretty big episode. That's the first the first Game of Thrones episode. That's right. Uh, we're we're getting into it. It's, uh, we're all pretty excited about it over here. Critically um, acclaimed f- hit series. Uh, yeah, maybe you've heard of this one. Yep. First, we so we've both of us have already read Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of a revisit for both of us. So there will be less predictions and that kind of thing while we're reading. Yeah, there will be no predictions. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're not going to play that play that game. Yeah. But before we actually do Game of Thrones, like like most episodes, we're going to have to have a couple segments, or I guess one segment before. And this is my probably my combined favorite segment with hot takes it's very similar it's called prove me wrong Uh uh-huh in which case i'm gonna make an argument and dan is gonna try to prove me wrong yeah uh it should be interesting since i already know what this topic is gonna be so i i have made an argument you've had time to prepare yeah okay see okay so but I'm making my po- my position in this argument is undefendable. <laughs> so so you have that advantage going for you Great. to to kind of catch up on on that. Um All right, I'm going I'll go ahead and jump into it. Okay. Yeah, I'm excited for this. Yeah, I've been I've been waiting to to introduce this one for a while. So this is it's not about Game of Thrones, it's mm-hmm. about Lord of the Rings. Okay. It's specifically, it's okay. Let me preface oh, it. specifically about the movies, not the books. Okay. Okay. So I watched uh, the first one, Fellowship of the Ring, recently. Uh huh. And here's my argument. Other than Boromir. Oh no. <laughs> other than Boromir, Gandalf is the most replaceable character. No. <laughs> in the Fellowship. <laughs> prove me wrong ben. okay there are so many angles of attack that you have opened yourself up to luke that i can't okay uh first off mary and pippin there are two of them and they are basically the same no here okay see i've thought about this oh. <laughs> so first off first off let me just make my point about gandalf okay he he could be easily replaced by a knowledgeable messenger or like worldly guide basically i mean that's kind of what his character is but yeah okay and i'll I'll, okay i'll walk you through the characters um so obviously aragorn can't be replaced uh okay right you agree with me on that one well but if we're just if we're just reducing characters down to their character traits of course aragorn can be replaced by a noble uh, outcast figure who is returning to glory no but i mean like he's he has certain skills like he oh, is a character see, has I certain see, skills okay. that cannot be replaced easily okay sure um he can be replaced oh uh, i see i see i see what your argument is now frodo and sam cannot be replaced just and because you know frodo and like they're basically responsible for taking the ring yes 
Okay. I we're gonna come back to this. Go ahead and make your argument, and then we're gonna okay. come back. Okay. Um, and then here. Okay, here's my here's my Legolas and Gimli are a little bit weaker, where they're basically just <laughs> the best fighters in the world is my argument, <laughs> and they can't be replaced <laughs> because of that. And then and then Merry and Pippin cannot be replaced because they are both hobbits, and that comes into play specifically in certain instances. That you could not replace them with characters that are not hobbits, and there's no hobbits that you can replace them with. Why couldn't you replace them with any other two hobbits? Because no other hobbits are willing to leave the Shire. Um, I mean, Bilbo left the Shire. Yeah, he's like the only one, and he's like 111 now. I don't think they did a lot of recruiting right well i mean but it's pretty like it's pretty clear that no, like very few hobbit like no hobbits are willing to leave the shire basically obviously they didn't they didn't like try to get hobbits to leave the shire right. at this specific instance but it's a well-known hobbit trait okay now we're being don't racist go on adventures <laughs> but there's uh. things like so like in the first movie Merry and pippin pretend to be Sam and Frodo so that the orcs pick them up and then they basically free up Frodo and Sam for a long time. That can't be replaced by anyone else. Yeah. I, okay. I think you could like, here's okay. Here's how we replace Mary and Pippin children. <laughs> but, but that would create so many more problems. Why? The orcs well, think that they're children anyway, and whenever that, they're described, they look as a child in your eyes. Okay, well, first of all, children have to be brave enough to go out and, like, get the orcs' attention. And then they or also just have to make... Or just not sneaky they, enough. Okay, they also do you think have children could hide... <laughs> Keep in mind that this is past, like, Minds of Moria and everything, so the children have to make it through that whole section. Yeah, I don't think the hobbits were too adept at, like, fighting anyway. Basically, the role of the hobbits was to hide behind the good fighters anyway. Okay, okay, but here's the thing. So, let's say you replace them with chick- with with children. Yeah. That's still not easier than replacing Gandalf with a messenger. Well, okay, hold on. You're saying that Gandalf doesn't really use any of Gandalf's, like, wizard powers, right? That sounds like what you're saying. That the only thing Gandalf does is know things. Pretty much, yeah. But Gandalf knows a lot of things, Luke. I mean, he's, like, yeah, but so many people do. Who else? Who do they replace Gandalf with? Just a, a generic historian. You're telling me they don't have historians or, like, messengers or guides okay, in Middle-earth? Nobody knew what the ring was besides Gandalf and, uh, like, the... Oh, who's the who's the bad guy in that one again? Sauron. <laughs> You're telling me there's a ton of elves that do. Okay. Which, granted, elves might be cheating. I think elves are always cheating. Yeah, but. elves are kind of... So you're saying Gandalf could have been replaced by, like, Elrond? Oh, shoot. 
Well, oh, easily, first of all. Oh. <laughs> but I'm, I don't, I, that's too, that's too easy. I'm going to say just a, a generic, uh, like, well-learned elf. Or just a generic well-learned anyone. All right, Luke. Here's a question for you. Can we do interfellowship replacement? Because I think think Sam could be replaced by either Merry or Pippin. No big deal. I don't know if they could do everything that Sam did. What was special about Sam? Well, first of all, Sam went through a lot of shit. Okay. (laughs) I don't think Merry and Pippin are handling that kind of stuff. And he's 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 just helping Frodo with things that I don't think Merry and Pippin could help him with. Okay, you're saying that Gandalf is easier to replace than just making Merry or Pippin a little bit more hardy and tough and sending them with Frodo rather than Sam. You're saying that's easier? Well, but you also have to find someone to... Okay, I'm not. I'm not gonna allow inter, inter fellowship replacements anymore. All right, that's fine because I have another one. Okay, who you got? Okay, Legolas doesn't really use the like elfness to a huge advantage, right? The elves are kind of already on board with this whole thing, partly because Aragorn already fulfills this like knowledge of the elves and like friendship with the elves, and they're also kind of on board with like, yeah, the ring should probably be destroyed. Okay, so Legolas's elfness doesn't play a huge role. Now, what does play a huge role is his fighting ability. You know who else has great fighting ability and was not in the Fellowship? Who? Faramir. Yeah, Legolas true. could be swapped out with Faramir so easily. Okay, but I think part of the Fellowship is that you have to have one member from each race. There's no orc right? in the Fellowship. Yeah, but the the orcs are the enemies. Like they're they're rebuilding or not rebuilding, but trying to like save the world. And if they exclude one race, that kind of screws everything up. Well, but the elves are leaving anyway. I think we need to clarify what the argument is you're making. Okay, so but essentially, you're making the argument that the only reason we can't swap out Legolas for Faramir is that we need an elf to like fulfill this requirement of cultural we have an affirmative action problem is what you're saying well i do think that this whole this whole fellowship process needs to include all the races that are being involved because so then we need gandalf is gandalf is the wizards a different race (laughs) oh luke you are a Lord of the Rings plebeian. You think Gandalf is just a man? Yeah, that's actually fair. This is kind of on me. Mm-hmm. Gandalf is not of the race of men, sir. Okay. I'll concede that point. Okay, I would also like to add, so I think some people would argue that, well, men are easily corrupted by the ring, just as we saw with Boromir, and the only reason that aragorn is able to withstand the power of the ring as he has the blood of the first men in him right he's got the you know he's like kingly and that's the only way however faramir is also able to withstand the uh draw the allure of the ring 
in the books and the movies. And in fact, in the books, he does an even better job of being like, yeah, you're on a noble quest and I will help you in your journey. I don't need that darn ring. I would say I think I've found the the point in your case that I am most pleased with. That okay, Faramir well, could replace Legolas easily in the Lord of the Rings. Okay, but I... Maybe. Maybe he could replace Legolas. That's fair. You keep in mind that you would also be taking him out of whatever he, role he did play in Lord of the Rings. And what role was that? To get to just get <laughs> murdered unnecessarily. He he helped him a little bit. Okay, but... in the books he was super helpful. In the movies he just was a sacrifice and ended up with the steward of Gondor being burned. That's like his whole role was to get the steward of Gondor to jump off the huge white tower and look super cool. <laughs> okay, okay, so I'll okay, so back back to the beginning of this where <laughs> I chose an undefendable position. I just want to point out that now, the only person more replaceable than Gandalf now is Legolas. And probably Gimli, I'll give you that. I mean, I think that's fair. Somebody has to be their most replaceable, right? Yeah. But, but, but plot twist that it's Legolas, Gimli, or Gandalf. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, of course... Okay, you have already stated that you don't think any of the hobbits would replace any of the other hobbits because of their, like, nature. And I think that's a fair point. Like, I, I do think the reason that the hobbits don't do stuff is because they don't want to leave the Shire. And we found the only four hobbits willing to leave the Shire, right? I think that's fair. Um, uh, but if you could do interfellowship transfers, I would... Con- contest that you could swap sam with mary or pippin and everything would be pretty much the same aside from the obvious like relational characteristics that they have with each other like that mary and pippin are pretty close and sam and frodo are pretty close aside from those things i think you could swap them and make a pretty good case that they're easily replaceable in each other's stories okay sure i think i think we're probably gonna have to leave it there because uh, we've talked about this a little while and we need to get on to Game of Thrones. Yeah, well, it's an important topic, but I think we it should is... move on. Yeah, okay. Well, that'll. I'm sure that'll come up later. Oh, man. Now you got me thinking about other characters in The Lord of the Rings. Now you got me thinking about characters that are completely unnecessary in The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But, okay. But let's move on to Game Which, of Thrones. Which, like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, go ahead. So we started Game of Thrones. Both of us have already read it. We're, let's see, we're, we've read up to chapter 20, I mm-hmm. believe. So we're going to be so, talking about the book up until uh, the 20th chapter. Um, so, yeah, so if you've not read, for... if you've not read to a position near that, this might contain spoilers. Yeah, it will. Uh, but we're no longer going to warn you about spoilers, so. You, yeah, you've been warned. <laughs> All right, any any first impressions or first things you want to talk about? Uh, before we like get started, I want to preface this in that I really like this book. Um, the the first chapter I thought was super cool and good, uh, and I think it's super well written. I'm a big fan of this series. Um, that being said, I don't think George R. R. Martin knows how big a horse is. 
<laughs> Why do you say that? Are you talking about like direwolf descriptions? Uh, no. So I think George R. R. Martin does not know how big a horse is, uh, because of the arrival of the king into uh, into Winterfell. Winterfell's the name of the place, right? Winterfell. Yeah. Okay. Wait, what, what does he say? Okay, so when the king arrives in Winterfell, uh, Cersei is not riding a horse. Cersei is in a carriage. How many horses... How many horses are pulling Cersei's carriage? Oh, I did note this. He said, it said a hundred horses. Oh. Didn't it? Oh, I, I thought it was 40. Oh. I'm fairly well, certain it was 40. Okay, sure. Let's say, okay, it was a, if, let's say 40. Either way, 40 horses pulling a carriage. Let's picture how big this carriage is to require 40 horses to pull it. Okay. George, George, you said 40 horses. In his defense, it was like, it was like a house carriage. He kept saying house okay. carriage. Right. This is, a, and he said it was two stories, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're going to do a little bit of math. So okay. let's say, let's say the horses are four abreast pulling this carriage. Right. Because otherwise they wouldn't be able to. I think they said the King's Road sometimes gets pretty narrow, so mm-hmm. four abreast right. seems reasonable. So, right. So I'm I'm kind of picturing like a highway lane, kind of like maybe a little bit wider than a highway lane, right? So four horses abreast. That means we are ten rows of horses deep pulling this carriage. Okay. All right. Let's imagine each row of horses can pull about its size of house with it right this thing's on wheels they're not dragging it right let's let's assume that a row of horses could pull the same width of carriage behind it okay okay so a horse a horse is like six feet long so we're talking about a 60 foot carriage a two foot, sixty foot carriage that is being pulled behind these forty horses. <laughs> Luke, this is like this is like a semi trailer sized carriage that is being pulled behind yeah. these behind these forty horses going through going through Westeros. There are how many people are currently occupying this this carriage? It's only like three. There are three <laughs> of them. Like yeah, but okay. Keep in mind, there's got to be some kind of diminishing returns in terms of horse horsepower, right? Like those forty horses mm-hmm. are not each able to pull their maximum because there's got to be some kind of loss of efficiency in there, right? I don't... Maybe. You don't think so? I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Because, like... Okay, I think at a certain point there would be. And then at that point I would just ask, why have we added more horses to this thing? Right. Right? I think that's probably true. Um, But I would also say this thing is on wheels. Right? 
This thing is on wheels. There are no huge mountains that they climbed to go from King's Landing to Winterfell. And they know this. It's well mapped. Right? They're on a road. Okay? So I don't think it's unreasonable. The size that we have approximated here, I don't think is unreasonable for 40 horses to pull. Um, in fact, I think it might be a, a little bit of an underestimation because I think these horses could have probably... Because it is hollow in the middle. Right, yeah, that's true. Right? So the, the the volume, like per per carriage to horse, horses are more dense. Yes, absolutely. Um, and they really just have to get it rolling. They're not going at a fast pace, right? George, there are 40 horses. This thing has to be huge. This thing has to be so big. And when you look at things like strongman competitions, when you see one guy pulling like a train. Or like an airplane. Yes. Yeah. 40 horses. That's That's got to be like... I, I'm, I'm thinking way bigger than what you said. You said like semi-truck size. I'm thinking bigger than that. I mean, unless unless half of these horses are just chilling. <laughs> Wait, you're saying... You're saying for the queen's carriage, they gave it like the lazy horses to just like. <laughs> maybe, maybe they just, you know, they're nice to horses. So they're like, all right. Or, or okay. Have you, you've done group projects before? Oh, shoot. Yeah. Okay. There's got to be some horses in there that are the, the dicks that are just not pulling their weight. The literally. couch, the couch potato horses. Right. So there's some horses in the front. They're like, God, I'm putting this carriage on my back and yeah these guys are not helping me out that much i think they had to have planned for that maybe okay so you think the ones at the front are like the hard workers and the ones right by the back are like slowing down the line they're getting pulled Well, maybe i, I don't know about the particular order okay. but my 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 theory is if they if they took 40 horses they had to have planned to only get the output of like 25 uh, but see, this is actually why... They might not is, have planned that way, but... This is why I hesitated to say that there were diminishing returns, because I think if you put two horses next to each other and have them pulling the carriage, they, like, encourage each other to pull the carriage. Mm. Like, I feel like these two horses, like, one of them would be like, oh, I'm getting tired, and the other one would be like, Bruce, we got a job to do. Come with me. We're going to reach <laughs> the pretty, promised land. Some pretty duty-bound horses there. <laughs> But I feel like, or maybe it's a shame thing. Like one of them sees the other one working harder and it's like, oh, no, I got to work hard than I would yeah, have if I was just by myself. You know, that's actually a good point because these are, in theory, the best horse because they're pulling the queen's freaking house. So right. They, in theory, they're the best horses. Right. For and that so particular job. I can't imagine they would be given the like lazy horses to the to pull the queen's carriage. They got the 40 most beautiful, strong horses in King's Landing. To pull this carriage. Okay, fair enough. I'm, I'll withdraw my, my uh, objection. See, yeah, so that basically... This thing is legit a house. Yeah. It's two stories. <laughs> it doesn't fit through the gate. Like, they left it outside because it's so large that they fit through the gate. And I thought this was so absurd that I had to see how they visually represented this massive construction and so i looked up the show on youtube and watched the clip of the carriage arriving and they fixed it in the show does it look reasonable is it like a regular carriage it's a regular carriage and there's i think there are four horses pulling it but there are 
ten times as many horses pulling the carriage in the book than in the show. I think I think we just need to pause and appreciate the fact that George R. R. Martin thought it was a good idea to have this carriage being pulled by forty horses. That's fair. I think that that's that's definitely fair for us to need to appreciate that. And okay. appreciation for that (laughs) done (laughs) we've did it thank you george for that wonderful image of an rv going through westeros because they're essentially (laughs) they're essentially those big rvs you see in national parks with the no this is like this is like one of those oversized load like you've seen those uh, trucks (laughs) taking carrying the house legit a house yeah that's what this is (laughs) yes thank you for that mobile home through Westeros, George. <laughs> okay, let me move on. Mm. I, I wanted to just, this one's not necessarily particularly funny. I just wanted to acknowledge that everyone should read books before they watch a TV show. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's related. So, okay, so I don't know what order our listeners are reading our episodes in. The first Elantris episode in or that we did, my hot take was that the TV show was better than the books. Uh, yes, I do recall that. <laughs> I had not read the books in a while. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I do, I do maintain that. So the first, like, from what I remember, the first like three books are amazing. Oh, we're about to go back on this hot take, and I'm so excited. And I'm, this book is amazing. Like rescinded, so <laughs> hot take rescinded. Hot take, hot take rescinded. I enjoyed the argument that we had about it, but I'll take it back. Books are always better than the show. We I will do maintain, maintain our righteous fantastic. fury. Okay. <laughs> the show is fantastic. That's fine. The book is, the book is just too good. Right. I mean, I, <laughs> So you made me say at one point that the show was bad and awful. <laughs> yeah, I drove you to the right. You drove me there. <laughs> but I will say that, like, the Harry Potter movies are pretty good. The Harry Potter books are way better. Like, the Lord of the Rings movies are pretty good. Lord of the Rings books, I think, are way better. Like, I do, I do think the difference is closer in this circumstance. I think the TV. Sh- I think this is the closest or the best TV show, or like. Uh, transition that they've made from book books to the screen i think this is the, this is the best example of it i don't that's probably not a hot take anymore yeah luke we're not in the hot we're not in the hot zone anymore yeah i think pretty, i think i've rescinded uh, my hot take and i'm now in the lukewarm area i was about to say we've we've reached lukewarm so this will be your new <laughs> which is this is that's not the point of this so i if i'm at lukewarm i have to just completely take it away right this is like your penance is now it, you're lukewarm. Yeah, and that's the worst thing you can be. It's all. It also has your name in it, so it's like it's good. It's uh, yeah. Okay. Oh wow, that's more positive cl- than I was expecting from you. Clever. Um, yeah. <clears throat> okay. Well, I'm glad you've uh, seen the light and uh, <laughs> realized the error of your ways, Luke. Um, yep. I'll, I've I've got another thing I want to I want to talk about. I've noticed. So first off, the first thing I want to say is George R. R. Martin is very heavy-handed on hateable characters. 
You know what I mean? Uh, like, oh yeah. He has the most hateable characters. Circe, Joffrey, Viserys. Very heavy-handed on how much we hate them. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of them tries to murder a child and doesn't seems seemingly doesn't care about it. Like Jamie is cool with killing a kid after we. The okay. I brief aside. The the level, the the speed in which we go from zero to a hundred is it gives you whiplash because we're right. in this like typical fantasy thing and then suddenly we're hit with like incest and child murder in one chapter within the span of like <laughs> yeah. two pages and it's like oh this is a very different book from mm-hmm. from what i thought it was gonna be yeah that happens and then they murder sansa's wolf <laughs> and it's like dude <laughs> Honestly, when I so when I first started this book again for the second time, I was hyped. It was it's it was super good. Yeah. And when we got to parts like that, I was like, God damn it! Like, because I know what I'm in for, right? Because you know? I've already right. read it, so I know what I'm in for. And I'm just like, I really wish I hadn't. Like, this is one of those things where I really wish that I could be in the circumstance of reading the book for the first time again. Yeah. Because it's just like, ah, damn. Right. I have to go through this whole thing again. Right. <laughs> It's it's the difference between seeing a train crash happen the first time and then going back and watching the video of the train crash happening and like being in the conductor's like seat and seeing what he does to make it happen and all of the like passengers and knowing what their stories are and watching the Ooh. video. Here here we go. I'm I'm going to I'm going to go forward with that metaphor. Reading this book for the first time is like watching a like action movie about that kind of thing. Like yes. It's super cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Reading it for the second time is like <laughs> having PTSD about going through that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's apt. Um, yeah, so if you couldn't tell, uh, the book continues along its current trajectory, as you would expect. Um, we're yeah, not going to spoil anything past where we have said we're reading, but it's like you kind of know what it's going to be like now. Um, yeah, I think, and I don't think that's a spoiler because at this point, everyone that's reading Game of Thrones knows what they're getting into, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, All right, uh, kind of going on to the hateable characters thing yes, for a second. Yes, <laughs> This is going to be a short, brief, semi-hot take. <laughs> okay. Are we too hard on Viserys? Uh, I don't, why is anyone the, the, hard? Right, little right, uh, the spider, right? The, no, 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 that's Varys. I'm talking about uh, Viserys, the uh, the dragon, the Targaryen. Oh, oh, that's right. Hold on. What do you mean? Are we too hard on him? This is a okay, hot he's, take. He, yeah, he's the worst. He's the very worst. Okay, yes. But keep in mind, when he was like eight years old, uh huh, he watched his entire family get murdered raped all that kind of stuff then he was sent out to some like stormy rock and then for the rest of his life he's been a beggar yeah but like at some point you gotta just say well i have my shot (laughs) i'm okay yeah he's definitely the worst i just want to make sure that we 
we might want to slide in some pity into our feelings of him. Okay, but my problem, my problem is you can pity someone who's in a bad situation and is like having a rough go of it. Is he really in a rough situation? <laughs> well, no, not right now. Okay. <laughs> he had a rough childhood, though. <laughs> okay, but, like, do we pity all the peasant children in Westeros who also had rough childhoods but didn't live in a castle? I mean, yeah. Okay, okay, I, okay, I get your point. I get your point. I'm just saying... <laughs> He lived through some rough stuff. Granted, everyone in Westeros does. But even though he's the worst, he went through some stuff. Can we acknowledge that? We can acknowledge he went through some stuff, but, like, everybody goes through stuff. (laughs) Like, think of all the bad things that that his father did to the people of Westeros. Even, like, the lords of Westeros, right? Like, they also had their family members killed and raped and tortured in front of them. Right, like yeah, I, Ned I, keeps I talking wanna... about Ned keeps talking about how his his like brother was you know something happened to his brother and the pain guy the justice of the king the king's justice had his tongue ripped out with hot pinchers. Yeah, I just I just want to I just want to so in a circumstance where okay, let's say he's not like a super like buff like big warrior kind of guy, right? Yeah, that's a lot of people are like that. Now he has to, he's going through, uh, his whole family gets murdered and he's like this super famous dude that like his entire family was the most like powerful people in the world for a time. Yeah. And now he's just like some little scrawny dude. Yeah. Like. He's a spoiled kid. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I'm just saying, I don't know if I would be different. Okay. I would be different. Okay. I don't know. I think I would still be the worst if I was, if I had got, like, if I had had his upbringing i don't i wouldn't be as bad as him i'm gonna say (laughs) but i would still be pretty bad that's good that's you should definitely uh give yourself that uh defense you know yeah i just i wanted to make sure we were clear on that yeah um dude i don't i don't know if we can just chalk him being the worst up to his his experience like yeah i mean he granted still is a bad dude but I just, I, I just wanted to make. I just wanted to put throw that in there. Throw that in there is. I don't know if it's even a hot take because I don't have like a really opinion on it. I just wanted to make sure that we acknowledged that there's kind of some circumstances that might have made him that way. Here's a hot take. Actually, we're coming in with a Dan hot take. Actually, okay. everyone everyone complains way too much about the bad stuff that happened during the Mad King's reign. Okay, explain. Okay. The prime example is Robert Baratheon, okay? He complains so much about Ned's sister dying and how he's, like, so torn up about that. But at the same time, I read those passages and I was like, if I was Ned, I probably wouldn't want this guy marrying my sister. Like, he doesn't seem like he cares about women very much at all. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's like he's he complains about... I think her name's Liana, mm-hmm. dying. Meanwhile, having killed an entire 
like generation of Targaryens, including children. Right. It's like, hey, man, let's have some self awareness. <laughs> <laughs> and like talks about how he like hangs out with prostitutes and stuff all the time, and like sleeps around on his current wife. <laughs> and and then he's talking to Ned about how oh I wish I had married your sister instead. And I just imagine Ned is in those moments being like. <laughs> yeah. like i'm not happy about what happened to her but like eh, this probably wouldn't have been yeah. great either yeah robert comes in reminds him about his sister dying and then is like i should have married her meanwhile like being a horrible example of what would have happened had she not died uh yeah, so I think that's, like, something to keep in mind. But I, I think everyone just complains way too much about Targaryen rule. It happened a while ago. Let it go. Governments, you know, sure, you had some bad times, but uh, stop whining about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, seriously, it's like, we go through that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> In today's day and age. You don't see me complaining about that kind of stuff. I know. Um... I do want to talk a little bit more about how some of these characters are the worst, especially some of these characters that are the worst but don't seem to be bringing anything to the table, okay? And there's one in particular that I would like to talk about. So, Viserys obviously is in the Targaryen line, so he has some value to him, right? Mm -hmm. Jaime is like the best swordsman in all the land. He's a great fighter. He's super competent there. So he he sure. can afford to be a little bit awful and gross. Um, let's see. Robert is like, I would say Robert is actually not a great, uh, great character. And I think like he's not, he's a good character, but not great. And I think the reason why is he's been corrupted by by far the worst character in the entire book series. And that is Cersei Lannister. And I do not understand the value that Cersei Lannister brings to the table whatsoever. I don't know why anyone listens to Cersei at all, aside from the fact that she's beautiful. But, like, that seems to be the only characteristic that is, like, redeeming. That seems to be the only value that she has brought to the table but, Like far. You're saying, like, she's not, like, politically savvy necessarily. She's not... I mean, obviously... I, I don't know. See, in this in this book series, like, I don't know how many ways women can necessarily be useful, like useful in the same oh. way as like Jamie Lannister or somebody right. can be, right? Just because of the way this society is set up. Absolutely, uh, super patriarchal, like very rigid gender roles. Not great in terms of like women's roles in society, uh, and they're like opportunities for advancement or like different roles to play yeah not good uh but i would say this like adds to my point if they already don't care about women anyway why does robert listen to all this stuff that cersei tells him to do and do it yeah like why does he kill the direwolf this is the exact moment that i'm thinking of is up until this point we have seen no reason for Robert to care about what Cersei says or thinks. Like, up until this point, Cersei is just his wife to bear him children and the alliance to the Lannisters. So why, when Cersei says you have to do this thing, 
and Ned, his best friend who he trusts and respect and is the warden of the North. Like Ned has a lot of power. Right. Why does Robert say, you know, I'm going to go with my wife who I already like don't trust or respect very much at all. Yeah. In a way that would infuriate Ned. Right. Who I need to be supportive. Right. Right. I mean, the, the, you're right. There's not many redeeming qualities for her in terms of why Robert would listen to her other than the fact that she's Targaryen or not Targaryen. No. Lannister. I, so like the, the only thing, the only repercussions from him not doing that would be like not having as much support from the Lannisters. But like, she's still married to him. Right. (laughs) So there's not, (laughs) which she's going to divorce the King. If he doesn't do at this point, at this point, there's no way he cares, right? No. No, he's yeah, so he sick no and tired. World. Yeah, he's sick and tired of the Lannisters doing all that. Like, he's sick and tired of the politics anyway. He doesn't care if the Lannisters, like, don't support him as much. It just, I don't understand why Robert Baratheon does anything Cersei tells him to do. And everything Cersei tells him to do is full of, like, pride and arrogance and is just, like obviously making his rule worse like it's not it is not helping him at all true that's definitely true (laughs) um um and who knows maybe later on cersei will find value but up until this point i don't think cersei has demonstrated any value that that compensates for her being evil in our eyes like i don't know why anyone tolerates cersei at this point yeah, and I mean, I I think that's the same for a lot of characters, like Joffrey too, right. right? Well, no, Joffrey has value. What, what's his value? Joffrey is the firstborn son of the king. Okay, but you could make that argument of her too, like she's the queen. Right, value. right. Joffrey can tell other people what to do, right? Joffrey doesn't tell King Robert what to do. Like when Robert is presiding over the court... Joffrey says this stuff and Robert basically says, oh, you're a lying piece of dookie. (laughs) Direct quote. Yeah. But Robert basically like tells his own son off and he's like, you don't have any power here. I'm not going to do what you say. Like, no. But. I mean, see, this is this is kind of my point in terms of like he's how heavy handed he is on hateable characters. Like. Mm -hmm. Susie, mm-hmm. Joffrey, Viserys have just no no redeeming qualities that I can see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's very true. Well, and it's also interesting the stark uh, contrast. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness, that was impressive. Yeah, we love that one um, because the people in the north, like it seems like nobody in the north is uh, dishonorable or like bad in any way like everybody from the north seems cool and competent and like mature and everybody who comes with the king seems like um basically like celebrities and they're acting super pompous and bad yeah you get it's always like the you get the description of like them being hard men all the time right i think i think everyone that reads these books wants to be a stark or someone in the north yeah right especially early on like these first few chapters the people in the north are super cool. One thing I want to talk about is how 
well he makes the characters seem their age. Interesting. So, you, yeah, tell me more about that. So, so a lot of the characters in this are like 14 or younger, right? Like, I think Rob might be 14. He's like the oldest of that generation. Like, Rob's 14, I think. John's around that age, too. Uh, uh, Daenerys is like 13. And then Joffrey's like 12. Yeah, and... Luke, I'm, hold on. I'm going to stop you right there. Um, sorry, how are you getting these numbers? <laughs> from from the book? <laughs> right. Okay, so in the book, he says that they're like 12 and 14 years old. How old is that? I, th- I think I kind of see where you're going with this. Are How, you saying are you saying their year might not be the same length as our year? Yeah, and in fact, why would their year be the same length as our year, Luke? I hate this already. Luke, now let's put aside for for one second the fact that they're living in a different universe and like let's assume that they if there was nothing different about their universe from ours, then they would be on the same calendar, right? Like, let's assume that their years would be the same. Um, But this world is pretty different from our world in one key feature, in one key asset that determines how long a year is. What's that? Luke, when we go through a year, what happens? (laughs) Seasons. You're, That's we right. Have seasons. We have four seasons that get us through the year. Now, I understand there's also like an astrological component or an astronomical component to it where we go around the sun. But we only realized that after we started like doing astronomy. Otherwise, our years were determined by the fact that every like 365 days or so, the weather was basically the same. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so the weather in Westeros is consistent for very long periods of time. And never uniform. Like, it's... Right. There's no pattern. Yes, there's no pattern. They don't know when it's going to be winter or summer or spring. Why would they decide a year is 365 days? There's no, there's literally no other reason. Like there's no reason other than our our reasoning for there being a year. Right. So that I know of. So the only explanation is that somehow they're able to observe how their planet moved around in whatever space it moves around in and it moves around in the same way that our planet does. That's that's literally the only explanation. Well, and let me go further off on this. There's no Nothing that says that their planet is a is a sphere, right? It's honestly, I think well, there's Luke, more well, evidence. Luke, there's nobody. Being... There's nothing that says our planet is a sphere. So yeah, I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, we are, we are a conspiracy theory podcast, um, but but I would say that there's more evidence that their world is flat Whoa. because because when Bran has his vision when he uh-huh. looks all the way north. Uh-huh. He looks like all he just keeps going and it just keeps getting colder. And there's no like if it was a globe, you would think he would go to the other side. Well, I mean maybe he just didn't go far enough. Sure. Yeah. But 
but there's nothing that says that it's a globe. Yeah, that's actually very true. And he never he never notices that there's like curvature to it either, right? Like he's right. super high up and he's never like the curve of the planet or the curve of this like land as it went away right, from which, me. Which if you were Bren in this circumstance, you would note oh, yeah. that it was curved. That would be like under, that would be the first thing you would notice. Are we Westeros flat earthers? <laughs> I think so. I think we definitely are, and I think this contributes to the argument that there is no reason why a year would be the same length of time as our year. So these people who claim to be fourteen, who George R. R. Martin claims to be fourteen years old, could be like fifty. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be fifty. <laughs> Because the way I, the reason I started this whole argument was the fact that they acted very young. Okay, so we we are gonna, for the sake of confusion, we're gonna assume that the the days within a year for Game of Thrones universe are the same as in our universe. But I, I do want to point out that there is nothing that there is no reason that they would be the same. And in fact, there is more reason that they would be different than the same. Yes, that's but definitely for the, fair. But for the sake of clarity, let's assume that we're working with the same time system. Okay. And I kind of going on the same thing. Did I like I'm wondering if I teared up or cried as much as these characters did. Like, granted, I wasn't going through the same circumstances, but I feel like every single character with one of, or everything, every single chapter with one of the younger characters has a section of them crying. Oh, that's it. Well, there's very few where they're openly crying, but it's always described as like tears coming to their eyes. Right, and right, like exactly. That. Right. Which I'm sure if I was going through their kind of stuff at that age, I probably would. Yeah, yeah. But I, f- I feel like I rarely see or read a book in which, well, in a lot of books, like fantasy books, the characters are super young. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like rarely are they this, um, I guess, maybe more realistic in terms of emotions. Is that true? Do you think? Yeah, I don't. The thing that always... Sometimes it's, like, hard for me to... I guess this, like, is a contributing factor. So I think they are portrayed pretty realistically, um, which actually sometimes brings me out of the experience because I imagine George R. R. Martin writing this super realistic young person, and it's it's just such a strange experience for me because it does seem so in touch with, like, a young person. Like, it does seem so in touch with a child. Um, that I guess he's just has like a very good understanding of, um, childhood. Like I'm sure he remembers his childhood very well. Um, well, but here's the thing. Is it realistic? Because they live in a completely different like society and culture. So it might be realistic if I were at that age transported to this universe, Uh but is it realistic for them to be like that i think okay i think the emotions yes definitely right because like they're we're gonna assume that they're humans okay 
<laughs> yeah. So if we assume that they're humans, they have similar like emotional responses to events, right? Maybe their like construction of reality is different. Right? Like if you were 14, you would never agree to go to the wall. If you were 14, you would never be like I should take on this honorable task of going to the wall and fighting against the others like John right. does. You would never do that. But John is in this system where that's like an honorable thing to do. And so he decides to go do it. But his response to it, I think, is like a more universal human response of, oh, this is going to be awful. Like, dang <laughs> <Right>. it. <laughs> Why did I sign up for this? Yeah. Like like me when I went to a summer camp that was worse than I expected. <laughs> it's exactly like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's also okay. So there are those scenes in this book where there are very young people doing things that are very uncomfortable for young people to do. True. So I've never like read a book where a very bad crime happens in the book and is described in detail in the book. I don't really want to talk about, like, the scene specifically that I'm thinking of, um, but, well, I, I need to give some indication of what I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah, I actually about. don't know which one you're talking about right now. Okay, so Daenerys is, like, mm, 13 or 14? <laughs> yes. Okay, so that's, like, a, that's a crime. And, yeah. And right that's, now. like, pretty on, bad. On, on Earth. Yeah. Right, but, like pretty pretty despicable yeah crime by our standards okay True. and i will i will accept that this like universe takes place in a different time right like i'll accept in a different period in human history this was not a crime but from our perspective it's a pretty bad crime to do that yeah. thing that is described um it's pretty evil and you read about it and it's like one, it's described in pretty vivid detail. Yep. It made me very uncomfortable. And two, it's described in a way that there's like an aspect of consent that goes to it that almost yeah. makes it feel like it's trying to be better. Like it tries yeah, it, to make you feel like it's okay. Yeah. It, and it like, it starts to make it feel like it's okay for a little while. Right. And then it's like, you think back <laughs> and it's like, hmm. like how old do we think, um, what's his name is? Oh, Drogon. Cal Drogo. Dro Drogo. Yeah. Uh, he's gotta be at least mid twenties. Right. I would say like late twenties. Cause he's the ruler of like this big right. thing. Right. Like he's the ruler of a big, um, oh, what are they called? Kalasar. Cal. Yeah. Yeah, he's really this big Kalasar. And he has a bunch of people underneath of him. Like, he had to work to get up to that point, right? Like. Yeah, here's. So. And also, Luke, I will say this does not matter. It does not matter. We, we are also trying to rationalize it a little bit. It does not matter if he is 20 or if he is 30. Oh, yeah, true. Like, this is still super bad. Like, super awful. Right? Like, there is no. There's no age we can make Cal Drogo that's like, 
unless he is 14. No, even then. Even then, Luke. <laughs> yeah, and the it it tries to almost make it okay, which is rare for like Game of Thrones, it seems like. Right. Um by making it seem like he's just good at it. <laughs> which like is not better. No. You know what I mean? It's almost worse. I would argue like, it is absolutely worse because it argues it. It says that there's a way to do it that's like not evil. It says that if, there's a. If there was like a pedophile trial or something, and the and the lawyer was like, "Yeah, but he's like really good," I'd be like, "Oh, that, more time. <laughs> that's two lifetimes." And the lawyer. The lawyer also goes. <laughs> the we're, lawyer goes we're done. <laughs> um, and I like. I don't think this is necessarily so I get that George R. R. Martin is trying to write something that takes place in a certain time period. Right. Like, I think that that is reasonable. And I do think that he had the intent that it would be very uncomfortable for us to read that kind of thing. Like, I don't think he wrote it in such a way that he was trying to make us like accept what was happening and be cool with it. Um, yeah. And I think also he he it is written in a way that is like I don't know. Like he writes it in such a way that in the context Drogo doesn't seem like Drogo isn't evil in the context, right? Like in the context of the Game of Thrones universe, he doesn't create he doesn't set up Drogo to be evil. But as a reader for us, like it's it's very bad as a reader well, for and, us and you haven't seen the show so here's a difference in the show mm-hmm. um it's much more rapey in the show uh... so people coming from there, there's i'm sure there's people coming from the show to the book they're yeah. like oh oh this was fine because it was like consensual because yeah. it's not in the show okay Okay, well, but I am, people... but hold on. In the show, I would imagine that these people are not the same ages that they that they are, right? Like, well, is def- Daenerys I mean, look... set up as a fourteen year old? I think so. In the show, I don't know if it specifically states her age. Okay, right, because I think this but is how so HBO. I think this is how HBO can get away with it, is because in the show she looks older than fourteen, right? Right right and so like you can't like there is no way on tv they could show and imply that a child was having that happen okay yeah so maybe that maybe this but okay but even then like the transition from the show which is like rapey yeah 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 yeah. to the books which does not seem rapey right makes it seem okay if you're going in that order but yeah, it's still, it's not still at all. so bad. Like, so uncomfortable to read. Very not good. We didn't love that. <laughs> that was also that was also a moment where I was like, George, why are you making me read this, George? Yeah, he went. It, it was it was a little unnecessarily. That part was long. That yeah. part was a little long. <laughs> he does another. He does another. Like, he okay in sex scenes which he writes a decent amount of he writes the descriptions so unpleasantly 
Like, I'm not going to read them uh, right now. But okay, sure. There's a, there's a part where um, Ned and Catelyn, Caitlin, yeah, have just finished their business. <laughs> and the way he describes it is just, like, so distasteful. Well, okay, to be fair, I think that's intentional. Right? Like, I mean, I'm sure it is, but. Like, I don't think he's trying to be, like, sensual about it because I don't think that Ned and Caitlin's relationship is super, like. Like, I think it's very formal, their relationship. And I think the way he describes it is, like, pretty formal. Um, And pretty, like, matter of fact. And, like, like, obviously, so Ned and Caitlin it's not like there's not an issue of consent because obviously they're like they're both consenting to it but it's more of an issue of like they don't really they're not really like in love and this isn't something that they like do i don't know it's it's like (laughs) it's more of like i hope i bear him a child with this transaction that we did right it feels i just i wish i wish george would just either not describe it or not use the grossest way possible to describe it. I, I think that's perfectly reasonable and fair. Uh, <laughs> I will say I think that's part of the reason why people uh, picked up and read these books, though, is some people want to read the read the sex scenes um, for the exact same reason people read. Uh, I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey was like one of the most popular books for a while yeah i don't i don't know if i don't know if 50 shades of gray readers are necessarily game of thrones readers but i get your point i think they i think there's probably a good amount of overlap yeah but i don't think well i don't know if they would necessarily be reading it for the same reason yeah probably not but i like it's a contributing reason i think that's a reason why uh some people read it as well like their friends are like oh there's this gross like sex scene in there and so they're like oh i might want to read that (laughs) like like hold on maybe maybe i'm into that let me let me check that out (laughs) that's true uh specifically i'm i'm talking about the consensual sex scenes between two adults i'm not i'm talking maybe somebody reads that and is like hmm maybe i'll try that (laughs) sure yeah i guess that's possible and actually now that i think about it in the 19 chapters that we've read the only the only non-incestuous two consenting adults who have a scene like that is between Ned and Caitlin. So. Yeah, we didn't, we, we didn't talk about the incest scene very much, <laughs> which the book also didn't talk about very much. Right. Which I appreciate. <laughs> but, but I mean, even then, like, obviously it didn't talk about it largely because Bran was asleep or unconscious for almost everything that we've read so far. So I don't know, maybe, maybe when he wakes up, we'll talk about it more, but so far it seems like very much, much more insignificant than you would think. So far. Right. Right. Almost like George was just trying to like slide it in there as like, uh, Oh yeah, this is also going on. It's not a big deal. Yeah, yeah. He's he's just he's just world building with that. 
Right. Yeah. Whatever. Things that happen in, in Westeros. Even cool. in the highest societies of Westeros. Yeah. Which is which is interesting because, you know, in like you know, in the good old USA, the stereotype is is that that is not what happens in the highest in the highest realms of society. <laughs> right. Cuz cuz you know, in the good old USA, the stereotype is just the opposite, you know. Yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. So. So, that's pretty clever, George. <laughs> good book trick. Classic. Classic George. Um okay. We're we're at about time i think we've covered most of what we wanted to talk about for the first section of the book so we're we're at chapter 20 yeah we're just starting chapter 20 uh i think we'll probably plan to read uh the next 20 chapters and talk about those um in the next episode and we'll probably divide it into 20 chapter segments until we get to the end um of the book so uh stay tuned uh next week for some more hot takes and And dumb uh, nerds and dumb nerds